Welcome everyone to episode 4, season 2 of Eject Rejects. I'm Ian. I'm Forrest. And I'm Jacob. And today we're going to be talking about a very great example of lost cinema, rock and roll. Uh, but before we jump into that, we definitely want to send our love through to our fellow patrons and listeners. Yeah, um, so thank you very much to Annie and Carrie Martin, Dixie Hoback, Scott Frank, and Jody Reese for being patrons. We very much appreciate that. Thank you. Um, if you thank would you like to much. have your name shouted out in an episode or somewhere else, uh, consider going over to Patreon and supporting us there if you wish. Also, consider following us on Facebook and Instagram where we post this stuff and... Just thank you to everyone who supports us. We appreciate it a lot. And don't be afraid to reach out to us on our other social media platforms as well. If you if you want to shoot us a message, we'd be happy to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Especially you people in Ireland and Japan. We see you. Yeah. Talk to us. We're yeah. lonely. Yeah. Speak to us. <laughs> Whisper sweet nothings into our ear holes, right? That's what we have? Correct. Gotcha. I have two. <gasps> Damn. Okay. So, rock and roll. 1983 directed by clive smith he hasn't done a whole lot so if that name does not sound familiar no worries he mainly worked on tv animation um the actors is what i want to focus on for this so rock and roll is a animated 80s flick of music and sci-fi fueled epicness and some of the actors have voiced and then some of them are singing voiced. So, and I'm gonna split that up here for you. Omar being our main character. This is a post-apocalyptic, one of our main characters. Post-apocalyptic sci-fi animated flick that has a lot of different themes and combinations. Omar being one of our main characters, voiced by Paul Lemaitre. Um, singing voice done by Robin Zander. Who, if anyone who likes Jeep Trick, would know that is the lead singer. Angel, being our second lead, our, our main heroine of this, is voiced by Susan Roman. She was actually also a Sailor Jupiter, if anyone liked the Sailor Moon series. Oh, oh that's fun. Yeah, yeah that's really that. fun. Yeah. Her singing voice was done by Debbie Harry of Blondie. Yeah. So... If it wasn't obvious, a lot of us here are huge fans of 80s, and that doesn't just stop at film. It also goes with music. So if there's podcast boners going around because of the music here, don't don't be uncomfortable. Just ignore it. It'll go away. <clears throat> we have them too. Don't worry. If it lasts more than four hours. Uh, so um, then Mock being our main antagonist, voiced by Don Franks. The singing voices done by Lou Reed, and then for one song near the end, Iggy Pop. This character, his full name was Mock Swagger, who is only referred to, though, in the movie as Mock or Mock the Magic Man, because they didn't want to get sued by Mick Jagger. Who he was basically, he was he was Mick Jagger, like he was, oh, he was, yeah. he was Mick Jagger, it, yeah. And as as far as design, Mock's face looked like origami those unfolded. I mean, just like Mick Jagger's face. So, then we had a few side characters rounding out the band. Um, of Dan Hennessy playing Dizzy, who's our drummer. Um, Greg uh, Duffy being Stretch, who's our guitarist, bassist. Who, and, sorry, 
who was actually supposed to be played by Howie Mandel. Yes. Oh. But, I didn't read that. Hey. But he, uh, scheduling conflict, and they actually had to go back and re-record everything <laughs> with the new guy, what, Greg Duffy, you said? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So he would have made a perfect little monster. <laughs> Forrest is glaring at me. <laughs> so it's already hard to be professional, but when these bitches start spewing out shit like that or start oh, spewing it, <laughs> start spewing out meat and bones, it makes me want to throttle them. And next time you see us, it's just going to be, welcome to Eject Rejects. I'm Forrest, I'm Forrest, and I'm Forrest, because the other two will be dead. So it, wouldn't it just be Eject Reject then? Well, See, wouldn't, wouldn't you're gonna we, die first. Wouldn't we be the rejects because we were rejected from this podcast? I, so the point being that you'd be dead. You'd be dead. <laughs> you'd be dead. You're gonna regret it. So the main portion of this film revolves around this band and the and the individual being mock who wants something from one of these band members to open up a portal and basically rule the world. It is after World War III where civilization is depleted, blown up. The only thing that is left is mutated rats, cats, and dogs, street animals, and everything left behind them is fancy and technology-based and hover cars and all that jazz. So it, it is definitely a rock and roll fable for those who are sci-fi inclined. If this sounds familiar, Heavy Metal came out in 1981, two years before that. A few notes that I want to make here. The budget for this film was $8 million. For animation, that wasn't bad. Overall, during this time, that is a low budget. For animation during this time, it was good. <clears throat> Heavy Metal had a, a budget of $9 million. You've only heard of one of these films that I just mentioned, which is Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal is a hard movie for me to recommend for a lot of people. Ultimately, I feel like these two movies should be either compared with each other in a sense of more of recommendation rather than quality, because unfortunately, quality has to go to Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal has better sound, visuals, and story. It is also sexist and does not hold up to the values of today. So something like rock and roll, which unfortunately needs love, it needs better sound quality, better equipment, better everything, even story, it is still easier for me to recommend. So I just wanted to make that quick comparison between the two. So I want to talk, I want to rewind a little bit here and go back and talk a little bit about Clive A. Smith and also the, um, a little bit about the background of this production and how it was, um, created because both those things come in hand in hand. So, um, if you have heard of Clive Smith, then I would suspect that you are probably either Canadian or you are a fan of, uh, Nelvana. Nelvana is to this day a very big film distribution company and, um, TV company in Canada. Um, it was actually co-founded by Clive A. Smith um, in the 70s. And then Heavy or Rock and Roll, not Heavy Metal. Rock and Roll was their first animated feature. So they'd done a couple others. They had a lot of licensing agreements. Um, and this was their first attempt at doing a feature-length animation film. Um, it was also directed as a result by Clive Smith. He also produced it as well. Um, Clive A. Smith is also um, 
He actually does have a... He's very prolific in the animation department. There's actually really interesting scenes of the stuff he's had a connection to. Does a lot of production. Yeah, done a lot of production stuff and direction as well. He actually had a hand in being one of the... In, in creating the first animated Star Wars special um, that was done. He droids, also had some hand... Yeah. yeah, droids and everything, which I actually remember growing up and watching. I had an old VHS of one of the movies back in the day, and now it's like impossible to find that shit. But um, really kind of interesting... Um, another thing I want to talk about as well um, in regards to the budget and then the financial success of this movie is the the closest number I could find in terms of the financial success was only 30000 And that may seem like the most dismal failure of all movies we've um, done so far in comparison of its budget versus its um, success, and you'd be correct. However, one thing I do want to point out is this film, when it was made, it had a lot of production issues because, quite frankly, the subject material and the way that it was done is MGM and everyone, they didn't know what the hell to do with this film because it was an animated film and with anthropomorphic animals and all that, you think it's a children's film, but then it has sex, drugs, and rock and roll and has all this very adult theme. So it was too adult and risque to be a children's film, but also too childish to be an adult film. So they didn't know how to market it. They ended up basically dumping the film in like one or two theaters and then immediately pulled it back after a couple of days. So the film just didn't have a chance because they didn't know what to do with it. And what ended up happening is it ended up starting getting a lot more cult following, which leads us to talking about today um, at kind of late night specials and college dorms and things like that. And um, once it was put out on TV later in kind of late night movies, if you will, back when that was still a thing, um, that was really where it gained a lot of traction. And I think that's really neat. It was released on HBO, I think. Is HBO where, too? Yeah, okay. TV. Yeah. In the 80s. Um, so I... Uh, upon Forrest's recommendation, I went back and kind of watched the documentary of how this film was made. And the it's a 25-minute little video on YouTube. I recommend you check it out if you enjoy the movie. But the center point of that was actually on the music of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that <clears throat> which that's where they started from. And then they kind of built everything around that. Which I think as far as the story aspect of it goes is where some of the problems they had with it. Because, and you know, we'll talk more in detail about it later, but the music is fantastic. But story-wise and as a film, it it leaves me wanting more. And, you know, like I said, they didn't have, they didn't even have a story ready for it when they started pre-production of the film. They, they kind of went in and started writing things as they were going along into pre-production. Yeah, um, the, the little mini, the making of focused on the sound and the animation because that was the best portion of this film. This film, unfortunately, was choppy as far as continuity, as far as flow, and it left a lot of things out, and that was its biggest detriment. And it was actually kind of cool seeing how far... This part doesn't have to do with the movie, but it it was cool to see how far we've come animation-wise because you're watching... They, you know, they had they had over two hundred newer animators working on this film at some point. They're in all one, fresh out of college, in, yeah, too. Yeah, in one way, shape, or form, and you're watching how they used to do it back in the '80s, which was they had a stack of papers and they were folding them front and back to make sure that the continuity of the of the scene they were going to show before matches with the one that they were currently working on. So you're watching them flip papers back and forth to check and make sure, okay, I got this belt loop right over here, but I got to fix this and adjust it. And it's just, it is such a trip and a really cool thing to see how far we've come animation-wise, but how hard they worked on this film. 
and you know it's it just sucks that it didn't quite live up to how hard they fucking work because kudos they worked hard on this film Mm-hmm. Yeah, and basically what, what Jacob's referring to here is that, that that's traditional animation. Like, if you're not familiar with it, that's what traditional animation was. All the old Disney films, all the stuff from the early 90s and all that, that's all traditional animation. And there's a reason why it doesn't happen anymore, because traditionally animated films, um, I think even, I think the last modern traditional animation film that I know of off the top of my head, and I'm, I'm not going to say I know this for sure, because I haven't personally looked into it, but Princess and the Frog, which was 2000 and... 12? Oh, God, I can't even remember. You are correct, actually. Um, that is, oh, yeah. wow, damn. It was that, and then they tried to do a lot of that with Tarzan, although they implemented different effects with Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, which ties in actually with what I was going to bring up right now as well, is I'm sure you've noticed we've been talking a lot about the production of the film. I feel like this m- movie, to me, is like when we did our Tiny E episode, where we're going to spend more time talking, at least me on the on the other hand, talking more about the production, the design, the influences of the film, and less about the movie. And the reason being is because, quite frankly, there's really not that much to talk about the movie, because the movie itself, in terms of its actual structure and everything, is kind of like, eh, you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, I do want to talk a l- focus a little bit more on the music, because we're all big music lovers. This movie is very similar. Uh, heavy Metal, of course, another one of the Streets of Fire that I can think of as well, with that rock and roll fable fantasy. Um, and, and the music is so fucking good in this film, folks. And I really have to talk about a couple of the um, artists in general, and I would hope at least that you would all be familiar with at least a few of these. So, Forrest mentioned Cheap Trick. I also mentioned Blondie and Nikki Pop. Uh, there's also Lou Reed and then Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. So very, very big A-list um, artists during this time, and it shows. And the Earth, Wind, and Fire song that is implemented in this is probably the funnest scene in this movie. As you would guess, they would, with uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire being very disco-fueled, their song is implemented in a disco scene and it is fun and goofy and it plays with a lot of imagery um, in that particular scene that goes really well with um, the music in general and it even touches on that in the small little making of and I keep plugging that because once again the the people the thought and the the style behind this movie is just so fucking interesting and there's a few moments that we we go up and we look down at the city that um, we are currently in with our with our characters, and the city was designed to look like a circuit board. And there's a lot of things that are designed to look um, like ordinary technology, but it is souped up. Or the, the the world building itself is 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 hard to say if it's either soft or hard world building because it really doesn't touch on how any of this was either come about or made. We're just shown it, but what we're shown is just so fascinating. Well, and that's my big thing, and, and my personal favorite thing about the movie beyond the obvious the music is is Forrest was mentioning world building this is a, a movie in my opinion that does world building right and it doesn't say a single fucking thing about the world aside from the opening Star Wars text crawl and all they say is post World War 3 all humans are dead animals have evolved to looking like humans with nuz- muzzles and snouts very Disney style and um, that that's it but, but the feel of the world is so interesting to me because it's very evocative of many other um, franchises and genres during the time 
but also very unique. And I mean, there are so many things thrown in here. I'm just going to list them all off. So um, I saw elements of futurism, classic futurism, uh, 70s style sci-fi with those sweeping lines, uh, 90s urban sprawl and decay. Uh, there's also some elements of pulp sci-fi and fantasy. And also I got a little bit of Tron feelings at time as well. It's like literally everything in this movie, like the computer for us, for example, yeah, since you're kind of trying to, to think, say, yeah, the computer, for example, technology. Uh, you're talking about the circuit board sitting and all that, like that's all very Tron to me. Um, it's like all these ideas were taken and just thrown into this blunder and just hit on frappe and it's really cool and it was like unique and not at the same time and it drew me in so much just because the art style was so beautiful as I'm just sitting here like wow that's like so interesting looking and everything I just wish the story was better yeah yeah okay so with that we will see you guys after our scheduled commercial break Enjoy it. Welcome back to episode four, season two of Eject Rejects. We're talking about rock and roll, and uh, I'm going to just jump into the synopsis. So we gave a very basic synopsis of the story in our first part, and I think the reason why we didn't go any further in the first part of before we jump into spoilers is because you can't really talk that much, I think, about this movie without basically talking about everything that happens, because the plot is, is... is basic to a point of like almost boring simplicity and i don't want to say that's necessarily a bad thing it's just i feel like this movie is not really focusing on the story so i'm just going to lay it out here because it's going to take me all of like 30 seconds so you got this band um which is led by omar and angel um uh, mock is looking for an individual who has the right voice that is basically going to be used as the key along with something called the Armageddon key to raise a demon from hell to basically destroy the earth. Why is Mox doing this? Mock? Eh, he doesn't really... Well, I guess Force knows the reason why. I didn't really catch it. So, this is actually something I specifically wanted to talk about in conjunction of why this movie's choppiness was a huge detriment to it. They had one specific line of saying why exactly Mock did this, and they then move on. I watched this film, I think, four times now, and only on my last viewing, I finally then realized why Mock is doing this. And after watching the the making of, so Jacob may actually know this answer, answer already, but do either of you, and obviously maybe Ian did not catch this since we just noted it, Jacob, do you know why Mock is doing all this? Because they had one specific line in the movie and then they dropped it. Why he is trying to... Why he kidnaps Angel and why all Why he's raising this demon. Why does he want to raise this demon to randomly just destroy the world? See, that part I didn't catch. I did not catch that. So, so in the inform. making of, they say it a few times, but in the film, they specifically say that his last concert did not soul sell out so he's now mad at the world that is literally the whole reasoning see his his concert was not sold out specifically two seats and now he's pissed see i caught that and i honestly brushed over because that seemed this is exactly what i'm talking about like i'm sorry that's dumb like it is yeah mock is a great villain in terms of his charisma and everything but he's unfortunately just like a lot of other villains we talked about the bad to be bad premise as he looks interesting he speaks interesting he's played interestingly but his motivation or anything behind what he's doing i remember that line and my brain just did not connect that that was the reason why he was doing what he was doing because it was dumb yeah anyway basically finishing up the story 
Andrew gets captured. She gets convinced to sing. The band comes and saves her. They stop the demon through the mutual power of them singing together, and the world is saved. That's the story. Yeah, and there there's a quick connection I wanted to make, it, it, like or a comparison to Streets of Fire. Because sure. very similar storylines. It's a rock and roll fable. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, but I mean, in in terms of woman gets kidnapped, yeah, mm-hmm. rescue the girl, and then and then people go after a woman who gets kidnapped yeah. to rescue it's her. Kind of like a road trip but movie in some ways. For sure. this one, and I actually pointed it out while we were watching. The difference is, while I I think I actually enjoy Streets of Fire better, there was an actual reason that I could find. Like there, there was an actual reason why he kidnapped her. It was because oh, she's got the voice to unlock the key to mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. to release the demon. While as and you know, this isn't me trying to shit on Streets of Fire or anything, but in Streets of Fire, Willem Dafoe just kidnapped Diane Lane because he liked her because he thought she was pretty. Yeah. And this one, it's it's that part at least is he had motivation. You know, yeah, there was actual motivation to do it, which I that made me happy. I was like, okay, this is nice. And then other things and. Well, and and that's and that's a good point right there. I mean, th- I'm going to say right now, I really liked this movie. There was just a lot of things that really the movie failed to live up to its potential, which I'm sure I'll talk about later in this episode. But, but you're talking about how there were things that they just didn't develop or they didn't, you know, further along. Is there was a lot of times in this movie where they introduced characters, they start introducing what I felt were themes or ideas that they didn't really do anything with, almost kind of like Robot Jocks. Great example is um, Mock has got three butlers that are anthropomorphic dog-esque bulldog kind of characters. They're, they're basically the three stooges. That, that, on yeah, roller they're, skates. Yeah, they're, they're three stooges on roller skates. They're, you know, Curly Larry Moe. You know, most all three of them are dumb in one way or another. They're big, muscular, you know, and, and like they kind of hint or suggest that this thing that one of them whose name is Zip. Mm-hmm. Zab? Zip. Zip. And he kind of has like a like morally question, like maybe you know we shouldn't be doing this, or what we doing is evil. It's because he's like naive and everything. And then he makes this thing where he saves Omar from the demon, you know, attacking him, and then you know he ends up dying as real. Like all that stuff was really interesting to me, but they didn't really do anything with it. And honestly, that whole thing I just said about Zip, they literally shoved it in like a two minute scene. It was near at the, the end very of the end film. of the film. Yeah. And then like the three stooges butlers had a sister named um Cinderella Cinderella Cindy yes and um i mean her character design was was wonderful wonderful yes she it was is amazing literally the most robust female character you'll ever see i mean there was some major pro pro body image stuff she, i feel like and she, all, at the same time not though okay she had Laura Croft boobies Laura, she she Laura, had a triangle body. I mean, her entire. <laughs> she had yeah. Laura Croft from PS1 Tomb Raider boobies, just <laughs> fucking pyramids <laughs> right there on her chest. So she was part Madonna then, too. Pretty much, know? yeah. Oh, good, but, good but, I mean, like, she was a character they introduced when, when Angel was captured, um, and she's, like, you know, in the. In the penthouse of, of mock and then cindy helps her escape so they can go party and they can get all psychedelic with earth wind and fire and all like they have all this stuff i'm like this is interesting what are they doing with that oh it doesn't matter she gets captured at the club mm-hmm. again and it goes back to the exact same thing like there's little things like that where i feel like if they'd done some more characterization they, they fleshed out some more stuff make the movie longer this is one of the few times where i'm going to say you know what this movie could have used another extra half hour yeah yeah and a lot of the side characters did suffer from that. I did really yes. like the two main characters being Omar and Angel, specifically Angel, because she was your typical um, badass kind of female heroine character. But she was not she was not a victim in this film. She was victimized. So I rather liked that. And at the end of the film, there wasn't 
a a moment where our two main characters have to kiss blah 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 we we've now found each other they they hugged there was more of a friendship so i always appreciate movies especially in movies like rock and roll type um fables where you're you're almost forced to have the the two main characters lovey-dovey and there's a lot of sex representation stuff like that this didn't have a whole lot of that for the main characters to me at least didn't they bone in the beginning of the movie they, yes <laughs> no, they, they, they did they yes were, they did the they, car, dude the car was bouncing they yeah, were they, they, they were, were boning they were in the car and the butler opens the door to they give you the card so yeah i'm oh, yeah i'm that. gonna disagree with you forrest on the fact that their their relationship was purely friendship it was totally a sexual romantic relationship but Fair. i will further the but point still on what you, yes oh, but yeah, i will further sure. the point on saying that yes she was a very powerful female character especially during this time period all things considered and and second as i do like the fact that they didn't resort to the cheap kiss if anything the ending was what made me put this movie into something that i want to have a copy into which we'll talk about that mm. later but um it makes me sad but yeah no i i really liked the i, I like okay so Full disclosure, I'm a big fan of romance in cinema, no matter what it is. Like, I, I hate the fact that so many films nowadays, it's like they don't want to put in romance. Like, just let the fucking couple kiss. I don't care if it's two men, two women, man, woman, multiple, I don't give a shit. Like, romance is in there. We're all humans. We all want another person. It's totally natural to feel that way. So stop leaving it out like we're a bunch of fucking aliens. Sorry, I'm going to get off my rant. So I like the fact that they did that in this film, but they did it not cheaply, and they did it. And that was like the center of the plot to me is let love send love through. Let mm-hmm. love shine through. And the movie was better than just to resort to a cheap kiss as they let their love shine through and that's how they defeat the demon. And that was cool. And I liked that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it felt it was one of those it was one of those things where I felt like, yeah, the to disagree with Forrest a little bit too, but they showed the romance there. Yes. But it but it felt natural enough like it felt natural enough to where it wasn't the center focus of it. Mm-hmm. Like she, and and it's still, you know, she was still a very powerful yeah. figure. You know, she took control at the beginning and said, "No, fuck you. We're playing my song, so I'm just gonna play my song. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna start singing and belting out my beautiful voice via Blondie." Um, mm, yeah. and she did a lot of smart things in the film too. She like yeah. legitimately did things. that's like, like, oh, she's actually she, trying to get out of and this. And she took initiative. She was trying to escape. She was like. They were, they were, it was a very empowering movie for, for women in that sense. And I think that it's, it's one of the few films that I can recall seeing where, yeah, they have their lovey-dovey moments, but it's still, it's still empowering and equal to just about everyone that was in it. Well, it wasn't ham-fisted, it wasn't drawn attention to, it was just, right. it was like just a natural, normal thing, yeah. which a lot of movies nowadays are very bad at doing. Which makes it so weird that this film had small little morsels and nuggets of themes music and lines that were so brilliant in that they they showed through in the movie but really everything else fell at the wayside one of my favorite lines in this is something that you were about to lead up to with one of the the characters being zip who has that that random arc in at the end of the movie to suffice basically his other brother throwing mock off of the uh the platform near the end of the movie to kill him Zip asks Mock, are we evil? Are we doing evil? And Mock has this wonderful line of, what is evil? Evil spelled backwards is live. And we all want to live, don't we? I mean, whether that makes sense or not, that is a cool fucking bad guy line. No, and I thought that was clever, too, because Zip and all of the other butlers were simpletons in the way they're designed. And I like the fact that Mock was basically bamboozling him Mm -hmm. at that point. And that was a... 
a decent characterization that I wish that they'd done more with. Yeah, and I know we mentioned it at, at the beginning in the non-spoiler part, but as as we talk more and I and, and you know and we discuss it, I I start to and I know it's how they did it, but it is this movie feels like they came up with a bunch of ideas and tried to fit like like they threw stuff at a board and was like okay let's do that how can we make it fit in the film and which is kind of what they did because they said because it said they were coming up with ideas for the film in pre-production so you know that's why i feel like some of it works well and other moments just like you guys said it kind of just falls to the wayside it's like but why why go that route and it just it feels like some things were shoehorned in because someone had an idea but it didn't quite mesh well with the other idea someone else may have had yeah and a lot of that same thinking that went into this film like you said didn't really work but near the end of the film it works specifically for the ending sequence and the ending song the ending song send love through that we've made multiple uh goads towards because it's amazing it's an amazing song and it is a collaboration between cheap trick um blondie and one of the other um um, musical producers on here being christine collins and it was great there was like 400 or 600 something tracks on it and that they mashed all of these together to make one cohesive song and it's fucking cool and it's on top of the scene where we finally get to see this beast which is a amalgamation of um i think they said like four to five different styles of animation piled on top of each other so the ending scene is this huge conglomerate of ideas and stuff barfed onto the, the this page on the screen it works really well the rest of the film not so much mm-hmm. well because it, it was all built the problem was is that they built the film around the music which yes. be- yeah. and, and that was their which main for rock and roll it makes sense it, no it does and i'm not i'm not saying it doesn't but their main focus was on the music and it shows because the music is fantastic yeah. but you if you're going to make a movie then I would say have people that are focused on the music, but then you need to have a group of people set aside to be focusing on the actual story, and then those two teams need to be brainstorming. Instead, it was full gung-ho on the music, and then, oh, that's right, we're, fuck, we're making a movie. I yeah, forgot, okay, I forgot video. about that, shit. Okay, well, let's write a story real quick while we're going along, but fuck, Blondie, get in here and record some music, beautiful music for us. Like Beautiful, beautiful Come music. on, guys. I think a lot of that, too, has to do with, um, I mean, Kim, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, is this was um, Novana's first feature-length animation film, probably one of their first films they ever did. And I, I'm very curious, like, uh, as far as I know, Clive Smith is still alive. Like, I, I mean, technically, I suppose I could ask him, like, was this a passion project of yours? Because th- this movie feels like a passion project. Like, you're talking, Jacob, about, you know, they, they, they forgot about the story. And there's like, I, I think this was one of those things, like, they were so excited about certain things. And I can definitely feel that passion and that excitement over the movie. But kind of like a kid that got a, you know, six-year-old kid that got a big box of crayons, is you forgets that you still have to color within the lines mm-hmm. at times. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about animation. And then I want to talk about uh, the distribution of the film, unless you want me to circle back to that later for us, depending on what your point is. I'll, I'll definitely plop in with you okay. there. All right, so you two were saying that you liked the animation. So I'm going to say that I liked the visuals, but the animation itself, specifically the active animation of the characters moving, was almost cringy for me at times. It was very... So I know a little bit about traditional animation. Jacob was talking about the multiple sheets they flip back and forth, right? And um, 
this movie this movie gave me major whiplash with my childhood okay so growing up late 80s early 90s and all of the animation style is this movie really gave me major whiplash reminders of the straight-to-video Disney films that came out during that time. The biggest one that stands out, just because I loved that film when I was young, does not age well now, but uh, Jafar, uh, Aladdin 2 Return of Jafar, is the animation remind me of that, where you can tell that rather than having so many sheets for every single minute movement, they had far less number of sheets when every single character is moving. So their moving was very jerky and disjointed at times, and it was very rough and i was like like it was sufficient but it was not as good as something like heavy metal or major disney production or, or anything like that at that time makes sense considering who made it and at the time but that was something that stood out to me another thing too so i talked about how i really want to get a personal copy of this movie okay you can watch the movie right now on youtube for free i'm gonna tell you right now it's not great. It's like a VHS pan and scan direct rip. It's it's rough at times, um, but it's the best you got unless you're willing to shill out a couple hundred dollars to find a copy of it. Three hundred dollars. Yeah. If you want a copy that will for sure work on your Blu-ray in multiple formats. Yes. The lowest cheapest I could find this morning because I looked again is the lowest cheapest I could find was about 125 and I did not check the region of the DVD. The reason being is because, like we talked about, or I guess I talked about at the beginning, is how this movie was distributed. It's had a very limited release. It basically had one extremely expensive VHS release that was done right after it came out in the 80s. That was the only one that was done. So the majority of that, like this was apparently a very big collector's item um, back in conventions at the time. Like a lot of times, like the Star Wars holiday special, like VHS rips of rips of rips, like just insane. The quality was crap, almost impossible to find this thing, or you were lucky to catch on late night television. And then finally in the 2000s, they released the 25th anniversary DVD, which is the one that you can find nowadays. But because it was a limited release, and it's the only, really the only second release they ever did, it's freaking expensive. It's really hard to find this as a result. Yeah. And with this film, it's, it is hard for me to say that it looks great. And it's, the animation is well done. But the look of it is, as Ian suggested, it is just a rip of a rip of a rip. So it gets really dark and gritty. And there's uh, a video on YouTube that is actually comparing a few of the um, different rips that are out there. And um, the one that we saw was one of the worst qualities. It's it's very dark. One in particular scene in the mm-hmm. beginning of the film where we have Mock in the car and you just see him kind of lighting a cigarette, but there's supposed to be an outline of himself. It is so dark you do not see his outline. In the, the newer copy, the newer uh, release, you can actually see his outline. And it, it adds a depth to a film that deserves this depth. And I yeah. think Ian's going to disagree with me, but this film is one of those films where I would not say it needs to be remade i think this this film did what it wanted to do in a lot of regards and i don't feel like remaking it would do it any justice i feel like it needs love it needs to be um, given that new fresh paint and being released rather than remade i i don't know i i would kind of be with ian on this one i i think this is one of those films where keep keep everything that made it great <clears throat> which was the music which was 
I think the acting was fine in this movie too. I think the voice acting was yeah, was I, real I, good. I, I think that was fine. It was perfectly I think, sufficient. I think it yeah. was fine. It's very distinct in a lot of these actors. But this is one of those movies where I think if it got the proper remake, it would just send it into, you know, it would ascend it into stardom. And I, I think it would be really hard to remaster this movie because the only problem is, is that there's still. Oof. My apologies. Oofie daisies. I am sorry, my listeners. <laughs> we might good. want to edit that down a little bit. <laughs> I pooped my Me too. Um, I think that this is one of those movies in the sense of like of robot jocks because the story there is still lacking. I think the I think the pre- the presentation of it is good. Like the out the outer the outside wrapping looks good, but once you open that box, you realize the pet's been dead because you forgot to put breathing holes in it. Oh no! So, <laughs> so I I think this is one. Sorry to make that reference, um, but I, I think it's just one of those movies that needs more love. You're right, and I think it, it just needs to be put into. Not better hands, because I think that they did. I, there's obvious, there's obvious passion there. I just, I don't know. I, I would be very curious to know why it fell so flat. Why did it only make thirty grand? Why? It, well, and more love needs to be put into the story as well. The music was fantastic, but more love needs to be given to that story. I mean, we can argue all day long that I don't think it's ever going to be remade. I think no. this is going to be one of those films that just lost, but that's that's not the point here. I think if we were to do a remake now, it would they would kill it. I, I honestly don't know what other direction that they could go that would benefit this film. And Ian's smiling because he has an idea, and I'm probably going to follow it up because I've heard some of it. And he and disagrees. I disagree. So, so <laughs> one, one thing I want to talk about as well that is like, like I mentioned at the beginning, and we've been talking a lot about this movie is very hard to find. This is to me the closest representation of a truly lost and forgotten film that we've talked about so far. Um, which is why I cannot stress enough how much this film needs to be appreciated and needs to have something done to it to bring it back into the light. And the biggest shame of it is, as the only known original theatrical film cut of the film, the physical original cop, like this would be the equivalent of like the original Bible, right? You know, not a reproduction. It was lost years ago. It was lost in the fire. The original version, like, it's gone. This film, the only living examples of it are the copies, the DVD versions, and so on and so forth. Unless something's been sequestered away and they'll find it somewhere. But so far, there hasn't been any need or interest in, in locating that, if there is such a thing. Which is, it honestly makes me depressed. Because this film deserves more than that. Which leads to my personal thing. So, like Robot Jocks, I think this is a film that could be remade. I'm not going to get too much into it because we're talking about the film that was and not the film that could be. Um, But my personal opinion is you take the basic premise of let love shine through. Um, You take that basic premise of that. You take the aging rocker, wanting to summon the demons, so on and so forth. You take that. You throw out the animation. You make it a live-action movie. Uh, You throw out the weird anthropomorphized animals that reminds me of Five of Goes West and all that shit that I grew up with. I like it, but you throw that out. That's not important to the film whatsoever. You get get rid of that. You just make it humans in the post-apocalyptic setting or future setting, whatever. Um, You beef up the characters with more characterization. 
you, you maybe add a better exact reason why Mock is doing what he's doing. My personal idea is maybe make him a servitor a la Professor Quirrell, kind of Harry Potter style, where the demon is actually forcing him to do it, if you will. Um, and he, I mean, he's still the bad guy, but he's basically a, a pawn in this whole thing. Um, and then you, you just add, you just change up a couple things. You, you extend the feature length by the extra half hour or so, make it an hour, 45, two hour long movie. Um, and then you update the music a little bit. Still keep the rock and roll. But, you know, this movie's got a lot of techno influences and some techno in there. Hey, Taft Punk, I, I love Tron Legacy. I love your musical score in that. You know, throw some of that shit in there and then a little bit more pop kind of stuff, maybe a little bit at times. Um, me personally, because Jacob's cringing, I would hate that. But considering modern audiences, you'd need to have something in there to make it a little more popular. It's not about the music that I'm cringing at. Okay, continue. But you you add that stuff in there, you you give it a decent budget, and I think you could do this film on a decent decent budget, not something super big. I'm going to fully admit right now, once we start season two, I've actually been kind of having a little personal list of like movies that if I ever had money and the time to remake, I would. This is one of them on there now. This robot oh, drops a couple hours. No, I'm I'm 110 dead serious. If there are any Hollywood producers out there listening to this shit, I will drop everything if I'm given the proper funding to do that. Same, That's how bro. much I care about this film and robot drops and other ones. Like I care that much, I'll fucking do it. I think it would fight you. I okay, and you'll so, lose. I'm larger than you. That is not true. I fight dirty pockets, man. (laughs) Okay, so listen here. If there is some magic, floaty, genie director out there that likes his idea, stop! I I agree. I love you, Ian. I do not like that idea, and this is why. Do not make this live action. Do not take away my dogs and my rats. This film is a it is a magic squid baby of the eighties. It is something that has been a Men in Black reference. I w- Your confused so, expression means no, but anyway. So no, I watched it two weeks ago. I just thought it was really weird that you brought. So. <clears throat> This film, like Heavy Metal, is a product of its time. Obviously, one succeeded and the other one did not. But animation and the, the premise of these of these characters being cats and dogs, I feel like, is the heart of this film. And where this film failed is not attending to that. It did not attend to the, the, the world that it built. It did not attend to why it was necessary for these things to be cats and dogs. The thing that needs to be thrown out in this is the story, not the other way around. If you're going to remake this, keep the, the, the animation style of the world, but get rid of that story, revamp it, do something different, make it a little less damsel and distressy, make it that, that rock-fueled opera, but... Uh, rely on the science and magic that this film hints at but does not really deliver on and i swear if this comes out with a human fucking i would so i I would kill you ian okay okay so i'm gonna kind of meet you both in the middle i'm gonna be more siding with forest on this one i think that while it doesn't make a difference to the story I, I, I like the premise of the animals in the post-apocalyptic setting, but to modernize it for people, and because it is such a rare and a, but amazing art form, I think it should be made in stop-motion claymation. I think no, have you no. have you seen the style? Have you seen how fantastic like movies like Paranorman look? Imagine how good that looks, or like or like a better version of Coraline, let's say. 
But rock and roll, I think that would be fantastic. It's hard for me to scream rock and roll, though. My, my, I so think that I would be fantastic. I'm just saying. I see what you're saying, Jacob, and I'm going to admit the only the, the reason why I cringe at that is just because I, I like the stop motion claymation because I'm a big Wallace and Gromit fan. That was another thing I grew up with. Excuse me, but um, a lot of those movies, just claymation and that kind of style has really been ruined for me, unfortunately, due to Tim Burton and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm over it. I just think I, this movie would. Over it. I think this movie would serve great from that because it's not something you see. Because yes, it was pounded into the ground, but like I'm going to hey, keep hey, using hey. it as I'm going to keep using it as an example because it was it's so beautiful. The movie Paranorman. If you haven't seen that movie, yeah, watch it. it. Yeah. It's it's sure. a beautiful it's a, looking film, yeah. and I think this movie could serve great from that style because I I want to say Paranorman wasn't 100% claymation, but if it was, then kudos to them because it looks beautiful sure and, and, I, and I like another would... well another modern example which i personally have not seen but i've heard great things about is uh, isle of dogs is another one that was in that well that was a not that wasn't claymation but it was kind of similar you know kind claymation of style and like puppetry yeah it was, it was more a puppetry kind of a mixture of things and you know that's fine i mean the anthropomorphic thing like if you're gonna add it into where it makes sense and it gives credence to the story then i don't have a problem with it. it's just it didn't do anything like okay why though like, what does this have to do with anything? That was kind of my issue with it. Like, the fact that this is, at the end of the day, an 80s-centric story is you need to give me some reason why we're still stuck in that world if you're going to make a modern retelling of that. And if you do a post-apocalyptic world where society is basically... You make the story that that was around the time that everything collapsed, then that makes sense that society hasn't advanced further than that. It just... I don't know. I mean, this is getting way too deep cut here at the moment but the, the the point is 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 i love this film i really like it i just think that it personally could do needs needs some additional love and one of the ways to do that would remake it which is why hollywood producers please call me i mean I'll call all of us will help yeah <laughs> except for us i don't like his ideas <laughs> i'm just kidding there's gonna be lots of sand and fighting if you call all of us actually so you know. it's oh, gonna be so like an oil fight kind of going off of what you were uh, mentioning with the claymation here have you guys ever seen Cubo and the six strings that is a fine example no, of great music and claymation it is much more um, I believe is Japanese style yeah, imagery yeah. and sound mm-hmm. I think that boded well once again I just don't know if he uses origami to fight people yeah I don't know if rock and roll could really benefit from I think I think it would just modernize it enough and still hold true to the animation style because yeah I mean we have real good animation now I just it would be something different without having to go full live action and and that's fine like you could make it just traditional animation you know do digital animation like everything is nowadays or whatever that's fine like that that's that's besides the point for me i was just thinking live action because if you're going to do humans that could give you a great reason to add in some really good well-known actors because everyone knows about the names now like oh my god samuel jackson's in this film or whatever right Mm -hmm. therefore everyone's going to come and see it versus animation kind of suffers from that at times unless you have a very well-known voice actor Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i just live action was just kind of like a knee-jerk thing for me that's par for the course for me yeah i think we're gonna get ready to wrap up and get into the recommendation section of it um for me at the end of the day this movie left me just going eh I love the music. That's fair. I think the music is fantastic. Go listen. There's no real album for it. Just look up rock and roll album and people have made playlists and people have listed out. It's 
some of the quality of it's not great. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not great. But go listen to the music if you like, you know, that 80s rock. and If you just like good music, go listen to it. Because you got Earth, yeah. Wind & Fire, Blondie, and Cheap Trick, just to name a few. And it's just super good. But recommendation... I can't I can't recommend this film. Oh, interesting. It's okay, it's not like I would it's weird. I'm I'm in the middle. Like I can't recommend this film, but I also if someone says, "Hey, should I watch Rock and Roll?" I'd be like, "I mean, yeah, you can if you're interested in it." I'm left feeling apathetic about it. It's not a great film. It's not a bad film. It's just meh. Yeah. So I I I can't I can't not recommend it, but I can't recommend it either if that makes any type of sense. No, I get that. I'm just kind of here in the middle going, meh, but I can recommend the music. Go listen to the music. And the biggest tragic sin on this that surprisingly we didn't really mention until now is the soundtrack. They didn't have enough budget to actually yeah, make they never a made one. soundtrack to this, which sucks. Yeah. Uh, recommendations for me. I love this film. Um, the animation, visuals, and sound is fantastic. Obviously, the quality because of overtime is not all that great, and this is one of those things where if someone has heavy metal and this in their hand for whatever reason, I would point at this, because depending on that, that person, heavy metal, to me, is an amazing movie. The story, quality, and everything is, is better, but it doesn't hold up for its themes like this one does. I feel like this, this movie is a lot better with its themes unfortunately it fails at everything else but this this movie's fascinating to me and that's why i love it so a big thing for me with this sort of film is is it needs to grab me somewhere with something something needs to pull at my heartstrings or my brain or whatever and 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 this film did it in on three particular scenes i'm not going to go every single one the big one i just want to go over was the ending when Angel is literally staring down the demon and she starts to sing and they do that and the music swells and then it's Omar haunting. comes and and he starts singing with them and it just goes into this crescendo of music and Mox is like, no! And everything. Like that right there, I just, I felt things and that really made me love this movie is, is there's a lot of feelings in this film. There's a lot of things that I wish could be redone. Um, but at the end of the day, this film is very a big deal for me now in this specific genre of the rock opera musical kind of stuff. I, I'm very thankful I got to see it. It needs a lot more love and attention. And I will definitely recommend it as long as you're willing to put up with either paying through the nose to get a good copy of this, which at some point I'm probably going to because I'm crazy like that and I have to have physical copies of everything, um, or being willing to watch a really low quality version of it that's really not going to live up to the full potential that the film was even at that point. I just wanted to say one more thing before we get into scene rejects. Even though I give it a meh for the recommendation part, I and I already did, but I want to just I want to reiterate this. I want to give kudos to everyone who worked on this film. Your passion does shine through. Yes. It's, it's, this is not a bad film, and I commend everyone who worked on this film because you, your passion shows. Even though I don't love the film, just kudos to, to everyone who worked on it because it your passion for this craft shines through in the film. And I just... I. I it's a shame that it didn't make its budget because it at least deserves that. I feel, I feel this movie deserved to have made its budget back. 
and I just want to get that out there because I felt like the, my recommendation gave it shit, and I just I want to give kudos because it deserves it. It does. Yeah. One other thing that we should give kudos to before we go in the scene rejects is our patrons again. Thank you very much, and uh, continue to support us and our upcoming episodes. Yeah, we have um, My Bodyguard coming out as a uh, Patreon uh, video, and then we have our next scheduled um, full episode being Bicentennial Man. Starring the late, great Robin Williams. R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. So, today for Scene Rejects, the same. I am your director, Humble Narrator. And this time around, I wanted to give this film a little bit more meat and potatoes for its backstory and actually do almost a flashback and Jacob here gave me this wonderful idea and I'm very excited to use this that you are all pre-World War 3 mother and father Ian you're the father Jacob you're the mother okay you're humans this is before World War 3 before all humans were wiped out and all animals turned into these not animal phalange wearing rockers and you two are trying your best to make money and for whatever reason you thought the best way to do that is to get on the david letterman show by dressing up cats and dogs for the best and new brightest pet show act of them being in a band um so you lovely parents and your adopted animals with your little rat with his little guitar and whatnot. You are giving your animals a pep talk before you go on live on David Letterman. Okay. And once again, Ian, you can blame this on Jacob. He's, he's the one that gave me this really ridiculous idea and I ran with it. You're welcome. All right. Chop, chop, everyone. They all know their place. You all know your places. Damn it, Sprinkles. Get behind that drum set now. Woof. Sprinkles, stop pooping on the guitar. Stop it. Oh, my God. He's eating his drumsticks. How is he ever going to play? How is he ever going to play with that? You know, this is a disaster from the beginning, Gerald. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. Well, I told you, Eunice, we should have just gone a bunch of dogs. They're far easier to train than these rats. Eunice, my name is Bernice. Is that your whore's name? And I broke character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know about Your her. Your middle name is Eunice. That's where we got all these pets from. I have to focus on this because I know you're cheating on me, you bastard. Oh, crap, we're on. <laughs> Thank you for not ejecting <laughs> these rejects. Bye, Goodbye. guys. Bye.